And now on Tucson Business Radio X, your home for real estate with Carol Nugent. Well, welcome. This is Your Home for Real Estate radio version. I'm Carol Nygut, and I am delighted today because we're going to have a fantastic show. We're going to address what is going on in downtown Tucson. I'm sure many of you have noticed that things are really changing, but might not know what exactly is going on. And I have such terrific guests today. I was teasing them earlier. They, they are so dedicated and so committed to this community that if I read their full biographies, we'd never have time to get to the content of the show. So my, the, my first guest is Tom Heath. Tom is the senior loan officer uh, at the Heath team at Nova Home Loans. And Tom has spent really a lifetime dedicated to helping people purchase and finance property here in the Tucson area. And in addition to helping people with their financing, he's also very committed to um, financial literacy in the, the community and providing resource information about Tucson's urban development. He's also an advocate for our local businesses, and these are all very important uh, aspects of what we're going to be talking about later on. Tom, as part of his tremendous dedication, serves on the executive board for the Downtown Tucson Partnership, the board of directors for the Tucson Association of Realtors. He's also on the steering committee for the Tucson Festival of Books and Local First Arizona. And he's had a lot of roles in, in with the Arizona Mortgage Lenders Association, the Arizona Association of Mortgage Professionals. He's served on the, on the Mayor's Council of Affordable Housing Commission, and he's still involved with the effort to bring homeownership opportunities to downtown Tucson. So welcome, Tom. We're really happy to have you. Thank you for being here. Thank you very much. Excited to be here. And my next guest is an old friend of mine. I like to think, Janie Cox. Janie is a member of the board of Rayo Nuevo, which is the engine that's been really underpinning a lot of what is going on downtown. Um, I love this. Janie describes herself as someone who provides a rich tapestry of community service and leadership over the 49 years she's been a Tucson resident. So thank you for your service. And... Um, you're also a member of the board of BBVA Bank. You're on the Southern Arizona Leadership Council. And Janie has, was a longtime uh, CEO of the Carondelet Foundation of Carondelet Health Networks when she was still a working lady. And she's also served on so many nonprofit boards. I really couldn't tell you all of them, but they do include United Way, Junior Achievement, the Gregory School, Arizona Theater Company, American Cancer Society, the American Red Cross, and so on and so on. If there is a cause in Tucson, Janny has been a part of it. So really, thank you so thank much you, for being Carol. here. And I, I, I don't want to forget this, I first met Janie, because for three and a half years, I was a sponsor of Meet Me at Maynard's, and Janie is the founder of Meet Me at Maynard's, which is almost 11 years, um, meetmeatmaynards.com. I'm not going to take the time to describe it. It's a wonderful community event that supports our thriving downtown businesses, and we have Janie to thank for it. And my third guest is Zach Yenser, who I can only describe as a mover and shaker. Officially, Zach is the executive director of the Tucson Young Professionals, and Zach is absolutely dedicated to serving 
the communities as they intersect between neighborhoods, businesses, and development of those communities. And he also serves on a number of uh, boards, the Downtown Neighborhood and Residential and Residence Council, uh, the Downtown Tucson Partnership Board, where he represents his community of Menlo Park. He's also the Neighborhood Association President. He co-chairs the Urban Housing Accessibility Task Force. Uh, he is on the Tucson Metro Chamber's Talent Task Force. He is the host of his own radio show, Tipping Point, every morning at 9 o'clock. And Tipping Point really provides in-depth discussion and information about the people, the ideas, and the issues shaping Tucson's future. And you can listen to Zach uh, on AM 1030, The Voice. Zach was also named the 2019 40 Under 40 Man of the Year by the Hispanic Chamber of Commerce in the Arizona Daily Star. So thank you. Thanks for being. Uh, thank you for having me here. Well, Sorry, I had to switch off and remember that you're the host today. <laughs> I was about to say thank you for being here. I'm thankful to be here, Carol. Thank you so much. Well, I, I obviously I have three tremendous people who are really going to help me and all of you listeners understand what's going on in Tucson. You know, I I've been here a little over five years. I was saying to my guests, I moved here about six months after the downtown trolley started. I got involved at Maynard's because I wanted to support the growth and development and transformation of our beautiful, wonderful, exciting downtown. But with all development and growth, there are challenges as well as things to be excited about. If any of you heard my program uh, in November, I did a program on some of the joys and the, the trials and the tribulations and the joys of what's going on with Fourth Avenue development. But today we're going to focus on downtown Tucson. And I actually thought a really good way to start would be to ask Jannie just to talk a little bit about the history of downtown. Why did Rio Nuevo get involved? Um, so where would you like okay. to start? Well, Rio Nuevo was created by the Arizona legislature, and they defined an area of Tucson that they felt needed revitalization. And that includes most of downtown, not all of downtown. Believe it or not, El Charo is carved out. We've not all figured out how that happened, but it's carved out. There's a block carved out of the, of the boundaries. Um, and then it goes all the way down Broadway mm -hmm. to Wilmot. And Rio Nuevo, it, our charter is our primary goal and responsibility is to renovate and advance the Tucson Convention Center and what surrounds the Convention Center. That's how it all started. Um, but we can operate anywhere within the boundaries of Rio Nuevo. It was established in 1999, and we are funded with a portion of the sales tax that is collected within our boundaries. So that's how we get the funds that we use to reinvest in our community. So business owners are really reinvesting in their own community. They are. Mm -hmm. They are. Mm -hmm. I love that. I think that that's terrific. And do you want to just quickly give us a little bit of an update on what are some of the projects that Rio Nuevo has? Oh, Nueva I would has? love to. Great. Thank you. <laughs> there are so many of them. I know that, there are. <laughs> that we have been working on for probably, I've been involved for 10 years now, and but in the last eight, there's just been tremendous advances in 
the develop, redevelopment of downtown. In fact, in the last eight years, we there's been a total investment of $1.4 billion in downtown Tucson. This includes Rio Nuevo's investment, the city, the county, um, and also private investment. So Rio Nuevo, for about every dollar Rio Nuevo puts into downtown, eight more are put in by others, whether it's private or, or public. Um, we were very instrumental in bringing Caterpillar to Tucson. We're very proud of that. There are more than 750 employees at Caterpillar now on Cushing Street over by the um, Mercado. And a quick little story about Tucson that I'm very proud of is that when Caterpillar invited their employees from the Midwest to come and, and work here, only a small percentage of them accepted the offer. I mean, these people like ice fishing and they have snowmobiles. They don't want to live in this dangerous desert with rattlesnakes and Gila monsters. But the 10 to 20% who came here wrote home and said, you got to come. You just got to be here. And now 90% of those who were invited are here. That's terrific. As someone who moved here five and a half years ago and is now doing a radio program and doing everything I can to promote and protect Tucson. I exactly. can completely understand that. Yes, and then we've been, we've participated in the work that Gadsden does on the west side, the Mercado and the Monier Apartments and the Mercado Annex. We're especially proud of the AC Marriott on the corner of Broadway and Fifth. The AC brand was purchased by Marriott several years ago in Europe. It's a very popular boutique hotel in Europe. And the hotel in Tucson, Arizona is the most successful AC Marriott in the world. Um, and there were naysayers in the beginning saying this hotel will make it five years and it'll be sold for pennies on the dollar. Well, they were wrong. <laughs> um, and there are we have Cathedral Square was just recently completed. Mm -hmm. We participated in that, actually Ochoa Street, mm -hmm. from church to Stone. church to Stone. Got mm -hmm. it. Thank you. Um, we participated in that street. I don't know if you've seen it, but it is really beautiful. I now. actually have a friend who lives in there, it's and I've toured beautiful. it, and I've seen her unit. Oh, yes. Which is quite remarkable. Yes, and there are only eight units in there. Mm -hmm. She was lucky to get one of them. Mm -hmm. um, so those are just a few examples. But we have right now two hotels under construction now, one in the parking lot of the TCC and one across the street adjacent to Cathedral Square, mm -hmm. two wonderful hotels. One is a Doubletree and the other Hilton and Hampton Inn. And then we have two parking garages going on at the TCC, so parking is not going to be a serious issue. TCC has struggled with parking for quite some time, and that is going to be fixed up really soon. Mm -hmm. So we're really pleased with the construction there. Um, as Tom was saying earlier before the show, that it, it's so neat to see all the cranes in downtown mm -hmm. Tucson. It's a beautiful sight to see that much happening and that much investment mm -hmm. in this incredible community. Um, and then coming up soon, we have probably another nearly half a million, I mean, half a billion dollars 
of new projects coming on soon, and they are the Bautista. You might not have heard about the Bautista adjacent to the Mercado. That's another one of the Gadsden projects. Going to be fabulous, retail and residential. Um, there is 75 East Broadway, another $100 million going there. The Ronstadt Center has now been approved by the city council, so we're expecting that to happen soon. Will oh. you just, uh, I just ask you to stop on that for one second, uh -huh. because that's so new, and a lot of people don't know yet that that is going to be it will still be a transportation center. Right. I don't know what the height is going to be. I can't tell you that. Mm -hmm. But the ground floor, the first few floors will be retail. We will still have a transit center there, but it won't be the only focus. And then upstairs will be residential. Mm -hmm. So it's going to be a mixture of residential and retail in there. Um, Hotel Arizona, we've all been hoping to see something happen there. I don't know the details of that, um, but I do know that behind the scenes, there's work going on to get that hotel reopened. And I know we all want that to happen. I believe the city has already approved um, some incentives for them. The Rio Nuevo is investing $70 million in the Tucson Convention Center. That will mean a renovation of the music hall, Leo Rich Theater, the Ekbo Fountains, the meeting rooms, the bathrooms. The, we'll also add several new meeting rooms to the TCC. So it's not just the convention center itself. It's the whole it's campus. It's the entire campus of the convention center, yes. And so when is that expected to start? It has started. Oh, it has? It has started. And that'll be oh. a $70 million project over the next couple of years. Okay. Yes. Oh. Is and there then there's a, a new Moxie Marriott coming in right behind the Martin Luther King apartments. Oh, in that, that is empty where the, lot where the where ice the skating, skating rink was, was yeah. this summer. Okay. Exactly right. And then there's a Volvo site on Broadway, another $24 million. And then we have to add in Sunshine Mile, which is just now beginning. We've moved five of the seven bungalows between Warren and, oh, but next to Warren. <laughs> Warren, I forget the other street. Out east. But yeah, well, no, close to downtown. It's just, and, oh, just west of Campbell. Yes, just, just west, west of, Campbell. of Campbell, and we're moving those. Oh, west of Campbell. No, east of Campbell. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Yeah, there were seven bungalows, uh -huh. and we're moving those back to get them out of the roadway as Broadway is being widened. Correct. And in a few years, they are going to be bars and restaurants and retail shops and a lot more on Sunshine Mile. Terrific. More than I can talk about here. Terrific. Before, Thank you. Before we move on, can I, can I share my favorite Reanimable sure. story? Because I think this gets lost in all the billions and millions in these okay, large stories. Okay, good. One of, the, one of the earlier projects was involved Mission Garden. Yes. And helping that come about. And, and right. if you're not familiar, that's where they recreate 4,200 years worth of agricultural history at the site of Tucson's birthplace. And that doesn't happen, most likely, if Reanimable doesn't help. That Mission Garden was a huge component of what drove the City of Gastronomy designation. Oh, That's yes. driving millions of dollars in food tourism. Yeah. So sometimes we look at this eight-to-one ratio, and we don't realize that's just an investment ratio. The return mm -hmm. has been mm -hmm. significantly yes. higher when you look at something as impactful as that. And then with Sunshine Mile, the the original plan was to tear down those bungalows. Exactly. And Reynuevo steps in and says, hey— we can turn this into something profitable. So it's not just the big projects, which are extremely important. 
but they're also focused on the cultural and the small the small components that really make us a community. And I think sometimes that gets lost in the conversation. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because I I, I think Zach uh, is has some concerns, and I think most of us do. Is we want. Tucson, and I know the historic Fourth Avenue Coalition, this is their same position, is we all want Tucson to develop into a better, more thriving community, but we want the history to, to, to remain. Exactly. To remain. So I'm, I'm really glad that you brought that up. And, and I want to just go to you, Tom, because as Janie is discussing all of these remarkable and wonderful developments, one of the things I know that you're concerned about is that so much of the development downtown is rental. Mm -hmm. And I share, obviously, I'm a residential realtor, and I share that concern not only from the perspective of we want people to invest. We have businesses that are mm -hmm. willing through Rio Nuevo. No, they're, exactly. they're willing to invest yes. in that community and maintaining it. And renters don't often have the same feeling of ownership. And I can say that when I work with clients, there are people who would love to buy a condo downtown, but we don't have any condominium development. Everything is rental. So I'm curious what your thoughts and perspective are on that. Well, that, that's what we're seeing going up right now. The the major projects, uh, the mm -hmm. the Flynn, which used to be La Placita, 200 plus, that's uh, condos rendezvous, or it's apartments rendezvous, right. is right. apartments. Uh, so we're seeing a lot of that. We're, we're having some success on the home ownership side are the smaller mm -hmm. lots where we're being able to put four units on 18th Street or 17th mm -hmm. units behind uh, Stone and uh, Miramonte just started a, a project um, in the barrio, which mm -hmm. I don't know the details, but I would imagine it was fairly challenging to get through the historical commission uh, to make a new project work in that area. But that'll be 13 owner-occupied units. So we're seeing them come in, but we're not seeing the large scale. Mm -hmm. Lots of reasons for that that would probably be its own show. Um, we do have hopes that on the uh, the uh, the site of uh, the Casa Vicente restaurant, that, that parking lot, there is... Uh, potential development for an actual condo, um, 30, 35, 40-unit condo, that would be the first in Tucson. So that hopefully will be able to, to come to fruition, and then the, the success of that, I think, will drive what's happening. Because if you look at some of the uh, rendezvous, for example, they're coming in with 1,300, 1,400 square feet apartment, and rents are going to be around $3,000 a month. I know. So it's know. that translates to a, a, a significant mortgage payment if, you're, if you need mm -hmm. to finance a, a condo. Mm -hmm. So there is demand for that. It's just hard to, it's hard to quantify a demand for rental and how it translates to that of a, uh, of a condo. So once we get one, I think it will sell quickly. And I think that will then help the developers make, make um, more choices to go in that direction. And I know that just south of town, where there are a lot of the old tiny little bungalows, I mean, there's a lot of flipping going on. There's mm -hmm. a lot of redevelopment. But as you said, because many of those properties are historic, it, it's a little bit of a nest egg trying to get some of that, that work approved. Yeah. But, but you know, I agree with you. I mean, I would love to see some condominiums. Everything that's being built right now, whether it's 4th Avenue, we have two big projects on 4th Avenue or downtown. It is all rentals. And given what Tom just said, about we're looking at you know three thousand dollars a month in rent if those were for, for that one particular project right that, that yeah. one's specifically designed uh, and I, and don't get me wrong I'm happy that we have rentals we need people we need density mm -hmm. we need to have that right. we're just looking for a little bit of a balance and I think that will come as we get some stability 
and a little bit more a little bit more growth here in downtown. Well, hopefully the is echoed by the neighbors within the El Presidio district, historic mm -hmm. district. We're doing a project there to activate that neighborhood. And the neighbors said to us, bring us. If there's going to be development, let it be residential development. We need people here, but not renters. We want neighbors. Mm -hmm. And they're desperate for neighbors because their houses between every house, there's a lawyer's office. Mm -hmm. And they would really love to see the neighborhood become a real neighborhood again. So they want us to encourage residential, not rental, but buyers. And the Tucson Association of Realtors just recently commissioned a study from a national group uh, to look at how to best utilize the space that we have, how do we fall within the historic districts? How do we work within that to create ownership opportunities? Because mm -hmm. there's zoning issues, there's mm -hmm. right. you know we historic have, issues are right. huge, all kinds of things. But we can tackle this as a community, and not just for downtown. Because as streetcar expansion happens, we're going to want density. So whatever we create here is something we can duplicate in other parts of the community. Absolutely. Well, I'm hopeful that some of those renters are going to, as you just said, with with the caterpillar. Uh, employees who've mm -hmm. come out, some of the renters are going to fall so in love with downtown that as it becomes available for people to invest in owning property, residential property, that they'll go ahead and do that. Yeah. And, so, and some will just love to continue to rent. Yeah. And that, that, that's a, it's, a, it's a lifestyle choice that a lot of people are making these days. Mm -hmm. But we just want to make sure it's a choice and not the only option that they have. Well, and so that brings me to you, Zach, because I know that one of your big concerns is what's going on with affordable housing. And I know you recently uh, posted on one of your social media sites some of the statistics about the need for affordable housing versus what's really going to be available. Sure. And I, I, think the, <clears throat> I think the distinction that I'm trying to, to message is I think we have, uh, there's, a, there's a conversation around affordable housing and a conversation around housing affordability. Um, and to me, the housing affordability <clears throat> conversation is the umbrella conversation uh, because what it really says is, is there uh, uh, adequate uh, opportunity for uh, anyone who wants to live where they wanna live to access the housing that they wanna access? And I think why the housing affordability conversation is interesting is that I'm gonna throw out a number here and I feel like I'm on thin ice because I'm with a couple of realtors who know way more uh, than I do. But I think right now in Tucson that if you are making south of seventy dollars to $80,000 in Tucson, uh, becoming a homeowner is difficult. Uh, and I think with what the median wages are that are being made in Tucson, makes the rental market even mm -hmm. in downtown Tucson difficult. When we had uh, a, a 2018 and a 2019 where the average sale of a home was 300,000 and the new home sale price in Tucson was 350,000, whereas in our county, uh, our, our median family income is $65,000. Uh, yes, our market is more affordable than other places, mm -hmm. but we don't talk about how our wages match the what what is on what is on the market and part of that is is that you know on the mls we had uh, uh, about a month's supply of housing there for a while in 2019 healthy markets have three to six mm -hmm. so a lot of people will say well just create more supply it solves the whole issue housing is more complicated than that but certainly i think we have to figure out how do we match supply to 
supply to demand. And mm -hmm. so when when we talk about the housing issue, I'm kind of the the unicorn in the room because I'm I'm talking about uh, also you know displacement on one end, right? Are we making sure that as our neighborhoods change, longtime residents get to stay there? Mm -hmm. But I'm also saying, uh, how do we make space for neighbors for more neighbors? Right, uh, someone that looks like me, mm -hmm. uh, I know there will be a picture attached to this at some point so people <laughs> can put that, put that face to the name, but someone that looks like me mm -hmm. uh, doesn't have the same access mm -hmm. uh, to downtown. And so when we talk about, you know, are we going to generate a thriving downtown but send the workforce that works there 20 miles up the highway, cities have tried that around the country. Doesn't work, it's not optimal. And so I take the neighbors for more neighbors approach. How do you, as downtown thrives, how do you make sure that the housing stock, that maybe there's a fourth or fifth generation person living there, how do they maintain that opportunity to stay there? And then for a newcomer, how do we make sure that there's accessibility and affordability for them to enter the market? And I think as downtown shifts, um, I think we're, we're seeing challenges on both those ends. And I think my message is optimistic. Mm -hmm. My message is how do we create a downtown for all? A healthy downtown needs healthy neighborhoods and healthy neighborhoods need a healthy downtown. Um, so I don't approach the issue from negativity. Mm -hmm. I approach the issue from we have templates around the country of cities that have done this and are 15 or 20 years ahead. Right. And so we get to look ahead and go, what do we like about that growth mm -hmm. and development? Mm -hmm. And what hasn't worked so well? Mm -hmm. And my show is called Tipping Point, and this is not a plug, it's just, it's my message. We're at a tipping point in mm -hmm. Tucson where the decisions we make in the next five or 10 years will shape the next 50. So that's my voice is, you know, Phoenix is having housing challenges, right? It's not New York City or San Francisco anymore. Phoenix is having massive challenges, and so are we. But we don't believe that about ourselves. We've always been the affordable city. You know, we've always been the place where the cost of living is low. The tide is changing yes. quickly under our feet. And if we're gonna step into our best as a city, as neighborhoods, we need to be having this conversation of housing affordability. And Carol, you're absolutely right, and this is my last mm -hmm. theme. When I talk about housing affordability, everyone wants to go to Section 8 and affordable housing. Mm -hmm. I'm not talking 70s, 80s, 90s urbanism. Mm -hmm. I'm talking about uh, these mixed uh, communities where everybody on whatever socioeconomic scale they are has an opportunity to live and to work and to play in the downtown area. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's that's my that's that's my passion. Uh, and the numbers right now are pretty scary. The 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 amount of numbers of housing, both single family and rental that Tucson needs in the next few years. We're not even close mm -hmm. to developing. We're not even close to putting and standing of the supply um, that we need, which means that when supply doesn't meet demand, prices go up. Mm -hmm. And so one of the weird pieces of this equation is that to keep costs low, mm -hmm. to make sure that more people can stay and more people can enter, actually means an increase in supply. Mm -hmm. uh, and so that's, that's my message. Well, it's interesting that you say that. I know we're we're gonna we're talking really specifically about downtown, but Zach and I were both at the new construction forecast in November, and the lead speaker was the land broker who sells land to all of the developers. Now, most of the new construction, you know, when we think in terms of new construction, that's being done not immediately in downtown in terms of residential communities. But even there, I believe, if I remember correctly, he said that there's going to be, need, be a need for about 14,000 yeah. lots in the next four years, yeah. and we only have eight, I right. think, believe he said. So we, we're kind of 
bursting at the seams right. in, in all directions. Mm -hmm. And um, I don't see you as a naysayer. I see you as representing a very important constituency because if we don't address the needs, we already have a lot of over 40 people. You know, I deal with them all of the time, especially this time of year. And as you said, I can't even tell you how things have changed in the last couple of years. I have people now who still think they can come out and get three or four acres of land and a really nice 22, 2,500 right. square foot house for a couple hundred thousand dollars. Well, those don't exist anymore out here <laughs> because the national perception of Tucson is, is, has really kind of lagged behind right. what's really going on here. And I think I have to take a moment here just to say that this is your home for real estate on Tucson Business Radio X broadcasting and podcasting also live from the Stuart Title Building on Broadway. I'm Carol Nygut. I'm your host. I am a residential realtor. And I would love to hear from any of you at 520-448-6033, either to help you with real estate, of course, or if you have questions or topics for the show. And my guests here today are Tom Heath, who is a board member of the Tucson uh, Downtown partnership, Janie Cox, who's a board member of Rio Nuevo, and Zach Yenser, who's the executive director of the Tucson Young Professionals. And so um, I, I just want to ask you, because I know you're going to have to leave a little early, because I know that you have looked, as you mentioned, you've, you've looked at some other cities that are a little ahead of us on this curve, and you've alluded to what are the lessons we can learn. Is, are there any specific things that you've determined that you'd like to see us consider? Right. In Tucson, right. Uh, so, uh, a couple. I could go a couple of a couple of different angles. Uh, the first is, and I thought Jenny would enjoy this. Is I had a caller call into my radio show and say, Zach, people come to Tucson for that three acres and a home, mm -hmm. and I said kindly. Um, that's the way it used to be, mm -hmm. uh, right? I, I think our perception of why people move to Tucson, move to Arizona, is so off from the reality. And I think we've known over the last 10 or 15 years mm -hmm. that, that people are moving to Tucson with the expectation mm -hmm. uh, that there is walkability, there is some level mm -hmm. of density, there is a thriving, uh, a thriving downtown. And certainly my generation... I think in the 20s and 30s uh, is is looking for that and I think what to answer the other piece of your question what worries me a little bit still in Tucson is that we're looking to tackle these challenges right of of do you just have a, a great downtown or can you actually live there right mm -hmm. we we want to tackle that challenge through single family zoning and single family housing and I think the deep challenge is that we can't outrun the problem Mm -hmm. uh, without a multifamily housing right. strategy. Uh, and I hear this even within municipalities, mm -hmm. right? People will say, well, you solve a lot of these, uh, even gentrification displacement problems through home ownership and single family zoning. Land trust models are single family zoning based. Mm -hmm. When I went to Austin, uh, with the city of Tucson, we saw land trusts that were developing multifamily housing. And so, what we saw in Austin was a community that just absolutely boomed. It grew overnight. Uh, an exodus of people went to Austin. Uh, but I saw it become very corporatized, very top-heavy, mm -hmm. mm -hmm. um, to the extent where the housing didn't 
catch up uh, and homelessness was rampant. And so the, the, the housing didn't match the demand. And so you're actually starting to see an exodus out of some of these boom towns that seem to check all of the boxes, but don't have this foundation of, of, of livability. Uh, and so I think figuring out uh, how to create more supply mm -hmm. is important. I think figuring out uh, missing middle housing Right, that's everything from ADUs, accessory dwelling units, uh, to empowering local communities to be developers of their own community. Uh, uh, it is, it's not just single family, it's not multifamily, it's kind of somewhere, mm -hmm. uh, it's kind of somewhere in between. Having a strategy around transportation and, and a level of density, uh, I think is I think is important. But really making sure that we're matching housing stock and supply um, with with demand uh, and figuring out how in my mind this is the last thing i'll say is when i came back from san antonio and austin we spent a week in texas i came away with a realization about tucson in austin they floated 200 million dollars worth of bonds just to solve affordable housing hmm. uh, just to say how does the public sector help to support creating more housing and more affordable housing units the private sector in Austin is also very powerful, booming economy, growing really well. You can have you can have uh, very powerful conversations with the public sector and the private sector. When I got on the plane, I thought, does Tucson's public sector have the ability to heavily invest in more housing and affordable housing? I was like, could we float any bond in this city for that? I, I don't think the present day would allow us to. And then I thought, does the private sector on its own mm -hmm. have the strength to create more housing or to step in and say, we're going to create 5,000 more units in the next 10 years? Mm -hmm. And the answer is no to that question at all. I came away thinking that if Tucson's going to tackle housing issues, it's going to be a public-private partnership. Mm -hmm. It's going to be the public sector knowing where to invest or how to step back, whether that's mm -hmm. regulation, impact fees, whatever the mm -hmm. case. It's going to be the private sector also realizing uh, where it can invest as well, but it's going to be it's going to be a public-private partnership in ways that other communities maybe don't have to think about it. Well, that brings me to Tom because I know um, the Tucson downtown Tucson partnership. I'm just curious. Um, number one, I don't know if you want to give our listeners an opportunity to understand what the uh, downtown Tucson partnership is, first of all. But I was also listening to Zach. I was wondering if you think that infill or reuse um, projects might address some of the concerns that he raised? Yeah, well, sure. Uh, for the first part, um, the Downtown Tucson Partnership uh, has been in existence for some time. Their primary role is the, the safety and security of people in the downtown area. Mm -hmm. So it is a, a business improvement district, a bid, and members of that bid, they self-select to be a part of that, and they pay into this, um, into this program, this fund, on a five-year commitment basis mm -hmm. and that's what funds the staff if you're downtown and you see the folks in the purple shirts doing the maintenance yeah. and security that's part of the downtown tucson's partnership uh efforts they've also really expanded into um service uh providing service mm -hmm. programs and looking at uh marketing and development quite a, a quite a, a broad spectrum of what they're covering but the uh they are privately funded through the those in that business improvement district the to zach's point i think you know, every time I watch Zach's Facebook feed, and if you're not following him, you should follow him because he always has great knowledge. Mm -hmm. He's pulling these nuggets, and sometimes they're a little scary, sometimes, <laughs> but uh, they're, they're always good nuggets. 
And I, I like how he's positioning this public and private thought. Mm -hmm. and, and I think in Tucson, we're going to see a solution that we haven't seen other places. That's my feeling. I don't yeah. think we're going to follow the path of some of these other cities. We've got a completely different climate. And it may sound silly, but we have 4,200 years worth of continuous history. We do things differently in Tucson. Mm -hmm. But there is a balance. We have this concern of how do we keep folks in their homes that have lived there for so long. Mm -hmm. And really, z zoning changes yeah. could help them with that. Because you have people that have a single family on a lot zoned for a single family, but large enough for mm -hmm. putting multiple family units right. on there. And I think you can help that family stay in their home, help them attain a little bit more financial stability. Mm -hmm. And I do think uh, potentially a bond that is tied to that type of development where it's not just corporate development or private development, where, there, where, where individuals have a mm -hmm. fund where they can mm -hmm. tap into yep. to then build and, and create something for themselves. I mean, you could double downtown's <laughs> housing stock right. uh, pretty pretty quickly with a lot of those lot sizes. So I think infill is going to be a key component. Mm -hmm. You cannot uh, ignore that. But going up vertical mm -hmm. has to be a part of this conversation. Mm -hmm. You just can't you just can't put that mm -hmm. much uh, um, housing in uh, a residential without going vertical. And I know that's a concern on Fourth Avenue. I know it's a concern in other places mm -hmm. that you have to have that density. If you're going to drive the type of of uh, economy that we believe we're we're going to have, mm -hmm. can I get can I just in Absolutely. thirty seconds go in the the, go the the other nugget that I got uh, from my conversation with uh, housing and community development and planning development services with the city is that the average density in Tucson is three units per acre for the city just to pay for itself, right? Not to have a nest egg, not to grow a surplus for the city to pay for itself, roads, police fire that number needs to be more like six to eight units an mm -hmm. acre uh and so tucson is playing very um very old school uh in in this sense of of that of that density number and i think when we talk about why are our roads in bad shape mm -hmm. why can't we float a bond for these issues why isn't our economy big enough to pay for more police and fire well part of it is, is we literally can't pay for ourselves right. Right. The reason we've passed the bonds we've passed in the last few years is because we have no other way to cover just our basic needs, including 70% of our roads that are in failing condition, which is awful in, in the city in the city of Tucson. So as a neighborhood advocate and as a young professional, uh, I, I'm in this really awkward bridge spot most of the time where um, where I'm trying to figure out how do you have a healthy neighborhood that mm -hmm. feels like the changes that are happening are for it? And, and not um, alongside of it? And, and how do you not have turnover and who's been living there? Uh, but how do you also create this open invitation for, for people who want to live, uh, to live in that community? Uh, and what's interesting is at the end of the day, it's about math. Uh, and a lot of people don't think about the math of our community. You aren't overall. under 40. You're data-based. I, <laughs> I failed calculus, but I like math. You know, it's interesting. In the room here, we have an expert on a model that has worked, and that's Rio Nuevo. And that Rio Nuevo, Rio Nuevo works, in my opinion, because of the leverage. You don't you don't own projects. You bridge you you bridge gaps. Right. You help people right. make we things are happen. We're catalysts for that project. We don't have that in the residential world. Mm -hmm. No. And if we could find that solution, and Rio Nuevo can't play there because whatever we do revenue. has to generate sales tax. Right. So if right. we can find that entity that can work off of increased property tax, not increasing the tax of the current property, but putting more properties out there that can be taxed. Well, what I'm wondering, given what you were just saying, is especially I know just south of Tucson and even 
in the Presidio area, there are a lot of um, people who are buying residential who are also making them work spaces. And I wonder if that might, but they are and, not, and can they, and that's do they one of the issues there, they, the residents, there are so few residents anymore yeah. because there are more business offices. But if, offices. if, if someone purchased, I'm trying to be a bridge here. Mm -hmm. If an individual purchased a home that also had a workspace in it where it was a designated business, could they then participate in the sales tax contribution to Real Nuevo? Well, yeah, absolutely. I if mean, they, I'm thinking that's a model that have, might... Because I know a yeah, lot of the... retail... So does it have to be retail? It has to be retail. It has to be retail. And then it has to recoup the investment. So if yeah. you're getting... Yeah. Nuevo has done a great job of making sure that when they put something out, that what they're going to get back is greater than mm -hmm. what they put in. Yeah. Uh, and so it's not a, a handout. It's just a bridge to help people... Um, so there, I think it's the right idea. There, mm -hmm. there has to be this intermediary that can bring the public and private together yeah. and bridge that gap. We've seen it successfully done mm -hmm. on the commercial side. We just haven't quite figured out how to do it on the residential side. Well, uh, Jenny, how does Rio Nuevo make the decisions for what fund projects they're going to fund? Well, um, there are a couple things. One, it has, has to first of all have an economic study and prove that it is going to return more than at least 100% of mm -hmm. what the value is of that property is today. Um, and so they, they have to get an independent economic study done before we will even consider it. And then we can offer some incentives mm -hmm. that really don't mm -hmm. cost us anything. Mm -hmm. If we have a piece of property that's undeveloped and a developer comes and fills it with retail, we will give them return their um, their excise tax for mm -hmm. the first eight years. Also, any sales tax, they the state portion of the sales tax that they collect the first eight years, we can give it back to them. So that gives them a, a real boost to get a business started and be very successful. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't cost us mm -hmm. anything to do because we aren't receiving any tax dollars on that property now. So it's easy for us to provide that incentive to get mm -hmm. business going. Mm -hmm. And are the I know on Fourth Avenue, um, there was a community benefits agreement, and the union development has participated. The other new development there chose not to participate. So does Rio Nuevo have any uh, expectations for whoever they choose to fund that they interact with the community? Um, we have not. That's not something that is in our work plan okay. right now. We certainly encourage that. Mm -hmm. um, but right now, we are looking at it strictly from the, from the business angle. Okay. And Rio Nuevo also wants to be the last in, not the first. Mm -hmm. So if you came to us with a project, we would want to know if you have an economic study, then we'd want to know um, how you have that funded. Mm -hmm. And then once that funding is tight and we know that whatever retail you're going to have, you actually have people who are going to move in there, right. you're going to sign leases, then we will be the last money in or the last mm -hmm. incentive mm -hmm. in. But we don't start anything. Mm -hmm. You need to put it, button it up pretty well before you come to Rio Nuevo. And well, and I know in the, in the case of the... Uh, Fourth Avenue building. The city council really makes made some of those decisions about um, the provision of tax incentives. Right, right. 
So, all right. Well, that's interesting to know. Um, so, Zach, because you do represent an under 40 constituency and you also represent your community, um, I'm just curious, do you have any idea what the percentage of single-family ownership there is in Menlo Park? So Menlo Park is 3,000 households. Mm -hmm. uh, I would say that the Monier, the, the West End development, and the Bautista development, which uh, we'll go in soon, are, are going to shift that percentage quite a bit. I would say before the last six or seven years, it's probably been 85 to I'd say 90% single family housing in Menlo Park. There's been some townhomes, some duplexes, but it's been mostly kind of your smaller bungalow, mm -hmm. 12 to 1600 square foot single family, single family residence. Mm -hmm. So do you, do you feel like Menlo Park is a model? I know you're working very hard in that community. I'm just wondering if you feel that that might be a model for other neighborhoods in the city. I do. I do. And it's funny you brought that up because that was the sense I got a few years ago uh, that that Menlo Park could be a model for the community, but also for the nation uh, in terms of uh, how do you how do you balance the 4,200 years of continuous history uh, with a uh, with a renaissance uh, of, of Tucson. Um, and you know, it's kind of been it's kind of been interesting that the the people that I talk to are in their fifties and sixties uh, used to have livability, walkability, access to downtown. The I ten changed that, mm -hmm. and so in this weird way too, with the with the access to the streetcar and with some of these other modes of transportation, yes, it's it's a distinct shift in the community, one that we have mm -hmm. to manage. But it's also almost a return to. Mm -hmm. Um, what some of my elders in the neighborhood used to have when mm -hmm. they could walk to high school, they could mm -hmm. walk to Tucson High. Mm -hmm. And so to me, Tucson reflects, reflects both rich history at every stage of its growth and development, along with the renaissance of the new. Mm -hmm. Tucson has always lived in that tension. Mm -hmm. uh, it's not always been new, new. It's not always been old, old. It's mm -hmm. been this constant uh, tension back and forth. Mm -hmm. And I think, and my hope is that Menlo Park is a community that continues to bridge that. Uh, and uh, as a piece of the downtown balances uh, density with with single family. We also have the challenge of a landfill that, you know, that's extremely costly to go through the abatement process. So, mm -hmm. you know, that's that's part of that conversation. A million too. per acre. Yeah, a million yeah. dollars per acre. Yes, yeah, that, Tucson's that, birthplace, and yes. before any of us were here, we threw a lot of trash in it, and now we're paying for it. So you think about decisions that we make and how it impacts future generations. That's one that has really changed the dynamic of the growth in that area. Yep. Well, and, and we were pretty surprised to find out it was a landfill after the city gave it to us. <laughs> Rio Nuevo had no idea they were accepting a landfill, and the city didn't. Yeah. There was. They mm -hmm. say they didn't know. <laughs> Our park used to be a landfill too. Really bizarre. Very park. Our Men Menlo Park. Oh, the your park. Menlo Park. Yeah. Oh, yeah. okay. It also was the first redlined uh, community in the, in, uh, in really? the city. Really? Yeah. Oh, I didn't mm -hmm. know. That. So deep well, history and a lot of a lot of hard uh, feelings to work yeah. through. I want to. I think part of what Zach's talking about is balance. You know that a thriving community is a community that has a balance of homeowners, business, and retail, and that's something that we haven't talked about yet. But we hear a lot about. What's happening with the retail downtown? We are, you know, we, we're building greater hotels for visitors and for commerce, people who are coming in. Mm -hmm. 
uh, to su in support of some of the, our businesses and industries that are really beginning right. to thrive. Um, we have rental. We have a lot of residential rental going up. But what's going on in terms of retail? You know, the, a lot of people, and, and Zach, I think this is part of what you're talking about, is what's available downtown for the residents other than the hotel? You know, I think it's safe to say that downtown Tucson is terrific, but it's beginning to be known as a place that has great restaurants and great music <laughs> and you know there's yeah. and, there, and thank god that, for johnny yes. gibson's we have at yes. least there's a grocery store down there until now. we have the residential density retail is not that good a deal downtown right now yeah. but it's coming i mean there are thousands of residential units that are going to come online in the next couple of years and that will allow retail to flourish but it's not there yet yeah and you, I'm sure you've studied this. I, I would imagine that there's a, a typical progression. You see, you get the, the 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 bars and the restaurants and the old warehouses, and that revitalizes the area. Then you start to bring people in, and then I would imagine retail. Right, and you hope it. you're going to bring people in quickly when that happens. Yeah. Because, and yeah. I think that's the benefit of having the rentals is that you can do that quickly. So it's it's not an anti-rental campaign. It's the it, the word you said, balance. So retail will be in response to the new residents, as opposed to building new retail in order to attract more residents. Right. I mean, the residents have to come first. Yeah. Well, and maybe maybe you know the residents having to spend their dollars at all of our wonderful downtown restaurants will help the restaurants too. And that's good too. And that's right. Until we we do have more shopping um, and more re retail available, and the. If, the, you, if you look at the streetcar route as, as a shopping district from Mercado through, you have a lot of retail connected to that. So I, it's not like there's a, a, a desert of retail. There's quite a bit of, of, of variety on that streetcar route. It's just not all concentrated in the... In well, the you read my mind because I was just about to say oh. that, that that's a benefit of the of the streetcars. Exactly. Even if you reside that's down... The, that's where the retail has happened is along that route, which mm -hmm. makes perfect sense, of course. So can either of you shed any light or give us any information about the expansion of the streetcar since it's been brought up? There's... Um, I know the city has applied for some grants to study. Uh, where it goes, I, I don't know, but I know that the city... Those are federal, aren't they, through the... I don't know the who's providing the yeah. grants. I know they've applied for some grants to look at different routes. Um, my personal opinion is that uh, it means absolutely nothing, but my personal opinion is it's going to connect something with the with the airport uh, and either go through that new, uh, uh, the uh, the tech park that U of A has created down there with uh, the marketplace and all of that going yeah. in that area. Yeah. And Elcon. Well, yeah, Elcon could become a very central hub in that. Yeah. There's also talk potentially trying to do stuff with South Tucson to, to bring some economic benefit to that area. Mm -hmm. Where it goes, I don't know. I would imagine that private-public partnerships are going to be crucial. There's so much property value increase mm -hmm. when you have that streetcar. You would think that someone would be eager oh, to yeah. sort of step up. My, my vision is to create it like the Olympics and say, okay, where are we going to take the streetcar next? Let's all bid on this and let's get the businesses together. And what are you willing to put up? What are you willing to put up? Mm -hmm. And then find out which group is most um, – eager to have that and then have them drive that that cost so the city's not not bearing the cost of the expansion and in the interim while we await this expansion of the streetcar um related to sunshine mile rio nuevo intends to have a rubber yeah. wheel trolley oh, that right. will go from probably elcon to the tcc and what's the name so of it 
Oh, well, if Fletcher McCusker has anything to say about it, it will be the soul train. <laughs> well, you, you read my mind. We have great minds that are thinking alike here because I was just going to ask you, what do you think the possibility is for the streetcar to be expanded down the Sunshine Mile? And, you know, in the meantime... And I think that's, that will likely happen when it happens, but I really don't know anything about a, any plans for that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, one thing that we haven't really addressed that I'm I'm curious to know about is um, accessibility for uh, housing in in terms of I'm assuming that all of the buildings that are being developed now, the projects that are underway, they all have handicap accessibility and you know and I know they they have to yeah yeah, yeah they're they're compliant with right, all of the exactly. federal exactly federal laws and let me ask you. Um, I know you were talking earlier about the cathedral project. Isn't that um, designated as uh, senior housing? They have senior housing as a component of it, but they have a huge um, center for the for the Catholic business. Yeah, you know, and that and they have a fabulous. Um, like a conference room, a, con a, a huge a, a, conference a, 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 room, almost holds like a five hundred people, like a ballroom where you would have a big exactly. event. Exactly, you could have a big event in there, and it's a magnificent project. All the offices yeah. are there, the bishop is there, and yeah, and it really is a beautiful complex. And and this is one of my things that I love to sh love to share is the the we didn't do, in my opinion, urban renewal really well in the sixties. And right now, there's a conscious effort to bring in that history and culture. So when you look at this multi-million dollar project that was done next to the cathedral, mm -hmm. they kept a core component, this metal amphitheater that was part of the original parish hall. And so they designed this, the outside of this building to fit that amphitheater and tie that back in. And I, I love the fact that we are building and recognizing that we are here because of those that came before us. Mm -hmm. And we're not trying to hide that or bury it. We're trying to amplify that and, and recognize and honor it. Even things like the mm -hmm. Flynn, named after the Flynn family. Right, know. Monica Flynn. Oh, first El Charo, you know. Owner she of was Char the first yeah. first person to open an El Charo was Monica yeah. Flynn. Monier is named after an architect that made bricks. I'm thinking he'd be rolling over in his grave to know it's being made out of wood, but <laughs> but it's 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 this conscious effort mm -hmm. to say that we are here because of those that came before us mm -hmm. and we're honoring them, but we are moving forward with them not in, not in spite of them or or over them and, and rather the Maynard's than, market and kitchen came yeah. from an historic figure in Tucson well and one of the things too and we're going to have to start wrapping this up but um one of the things that we're also preserving is the architecture mm -hmm. you know a lot of urban renewal projects were based on teardowns mm -hmm. and building brand new mm -hmm. and that is and the cathedral is a terrific example of that you know that's how that building has been restored right. and it's magnificent it is you know and it makes you appreciate the architecture even more you know because the restoration brought it to life you know so i just want to thank tom heath who is on the board of the Downtown Tucson Partnership, in addition to many other activities that he's involved in, and Janie Cox, who is on the board of Rio Nuevo, and uh, Zach Yenser, who is the executive director of the Tucson Young Professionals. We've been having a really great discussion here today about what's going on in downtown Tucson. And my name is Carol Nygut, your home for real estate. Um, if you're interested in following this discussion a little more thoroughly. It will be available on the uh, Tucson Business Radio X website. It will be available in a day or two uh, 
as a podcast on all of your very favorite podcasting outlets. If you have questions or concerns, I'd love to hear from you, 520-448-6033. It's sunny in Tucson. It's 80 degrees. We want to say hello and our sympathies to those of you in the snow. Thanks so much for listening. Have a great rest of the day. We hope you enjoyed your home for real estate with Carol Dygate on Tucson Business Radio X.